Well, welcome again to another video uh, in a series on learning from God or scripture reading. And uh, I was also going through the uh, expository commentary on John uh, by uh, Perry Ironside. And I thought what I would do is I would just complete this whole series because there's 68 total of 68 uh, videos in this series on the commentary on John. And uh, we're going to be finishing up uh, chapter 3 uh, today. So I'm just going to read the uh, notes that uh, Harry Ironside has on this portion of scripture. And uh, we will be covering... Uh, John 3, verses 22 through 36. Now, this is the King James Version. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John also was baptizing uh, in Arion near the Selim, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized, for John was not yet cast into prison. And there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purification. And they came unto John and said to him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes all men uh, that come to him. And John answered and said, A man cannot receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I am sent before him. He that has the bride has the bridegroom, but a friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, this is my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh uh, from above is above all, and he that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that comes from heaven is above all, and what he has seen and heard, he testifies. And no man receiveth the, his testimony. He that has received his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the word of God. For God gives not the spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and has given all things into his hands. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes on the Son shall not see life. That does not see, I'm sorry, let me just read that over. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life, and he that believes not the Son shall not see life but the wrath of God abides on him. And that completes the reading of the scripture.
after these things, that is, after the Lord's ministry in the city of Jerusalem and his interview with Nicodemus, which we have considered already, Jesus came and his disciples unto the land of Judah. He went out of the city of Jerusalem into the surrounding countries, preaching and teaching. Uh, there he tarried uh, with them and baptized. Actually, we know from the fourth chapter that it was not the Lord himself who ministered the writ of baptism, but as he preached and the people believed his message, his disciples baptized them at his bidding. Now, strikingly enough, not very far away, the forerunner of the Lord Jesus was still continuing his ministry. We read that John also was baptizing in Aaron near Salem, uh, because there was much water there. And they came and were baptized. Uh, uh, chapter three, verse tw or, uh, chapter three, verse uh, twenty-three. Aaron is in the Jordan Valley, about twenty miles north, of where the Lord Jesus was at this time, and many flocked there to hear John, and to give uh, to give his great message of repentance, with the view uh, to the forgiveness of sins. He had already pointed out the Lord as the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world, uh, verse 29 uh, in chapter 1. The Savior had gone away into the wilderness for 40 days of fasting. There he had been tempted. He had returned to Jerusalem and began his public testimony there rejected by most, but Nicodemus was one honest soul who was interested in his message. And now the Lord's own ministry was widening, broadening out. But John continued preaching at the same time, for he was not yet cast into prison, tells us that in verse 24. Very shortly after this, uh, his arrest took place. We remember the occasion of it. Heron had been very much interested in John, uh, sent for him on a number of occasions and was glad to hear him preach. But Herod was guilty of a very grievous offense, both against the law of God and man. He was living in an adulterous relationship with his own brother's wife, Philip's wife, uh, Herodias. Because of his place of power, very few dared to criticize him, but John the Baptist stood before him and fearlessly declared, it is not lawful for you, for thee to have her, Matthew 14, 4. As long as he preached repentance, in the general way, he, a general way, as long as he preached forgiveness of sins in a manner that would apply to everyone, Herod listened to him. 
but when John made it a personal as that and pointed out his own sin, the expression that uh, divine approval of his iniquity, then Herod indignation was stirred and the ba Baptist was placed under arrest. As you know, that later on, in order to satisfy uh, hatred of Herodias, a woman scorned, John was put to death. But this had not yet taken place, and he was preaching to multitudes and baptizing those who gave evidence of repentance. The two ministries were going on at the same time, and eventually the Jews were surprised at this for there arose a question between some of john's disciples and the jews about purifying verse 25 and they saw in baptism a, a symbolic of purification baptist baptism uh, does not actually cleanse the soul but it is a, a symbolic of the washing away of sin and so they came in unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond the Jordan to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizes, and all men come to him. Verse 26. As much as to say, John, uh, your uh, star, star is sinking, his star is now in the ascension. Uh, it will not be long before all will be going to him and no one will be gathering to hear you. How beautiful John's answer was. Not a bit of pride in this man. Not a bit of self-assertiveness. Uh, he was not concerned about gathering disciples about himself. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given to him from heaven. Ye yourself bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. Verses 28 or 27 and 28. We might paraphrase it like this. I did not come to draw your attention to me. I only came as a forerunner of the pr uh, promised anointed one. When you question me, art thou the prophet? Then that shall come into the world of whom Moses spoke. I, t I told you, I am not. When you inquired, who art thou? then and why do you baptize i told you plainly i said i am simply a voice of one crying in the wilderness prepare ye the way of the lord make his path straight it is honor enough for me to herald the coming of god's deliverer the one who is uh, bringing repentance to israel and to the world and then he used a very beautiful figure in verse 29. He said, he that has the bride is the bridegroom.
But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This is the joy, therefore, is fulfilled. In other words, John referred to something that we're all familiar with. At a wedding, the bride is the one interested in her bridegroom. The a bridegroom's joy is found in his bride. But there has then, as have today, the best man, as we call him, the friend of the bridegroom. And the friend of the bridegroom founds his delight in the bridegroom's joy. And so John says, I am just like that. I am the bridegroom's friend. The Lord Jesus Christ himself is the bridegroom. The bride belongs to him, not to me. I rejoice in his gladness. I do not feel slighted. I do not feel set to one side because I cannot claim the love and the alliance of the bride. Now, John, of course, spoke from a Jewish standpoint. According to the Old Testament, Israel was the bride. Jehovah was the bridegroom. Jehovah had been incarnate in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John said, I am simply here to announce his coming and the bride belongs to him. But God has other thoughts in mind that were not then made clear. Later on, he shows that because of Israel's attitude towards his blessed son, they would be set to one side during a long period to be known as the time of the Gentiles, Luke 21, 24. During this period, God by the Holy Spirit is taking out a people for his name, for the name of the Lord Jesus and the people he designed as the bride of the Lamb. We have a heavenly bride in the fifth chapter of the epistle to the Ephesians, where the apostle sets forth the responsibilities of the husband and wife in the marriage relationship. He directs our attention to which, that which takes place at the very beginning. When God gave his first parents each to the other and said, He that maketh them in the beginning said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Ephesians 5.31 and immediately he added, This is the great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Verse 32. He shows us that the marriage relationship is designed of God to picture the mystical union of Christ and his church. The church, therefore, is the bride, the Lamb's wife. Revelation 21.9. We see her in the 19th chapter of the book of Revelation at the marriage supper of the Lamb. There we read, his bride has made herself ready, verse 7. You remember in the chapter we have two different groups at the marriage supper. 
we have the bride's company, the bridal company, and then we have the friend of the bridegroom, just as John expressed himself here. We read, blessed are they which are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb, verse 9. The bride is not called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. How often we have a wedding and prepare, perhaps after the wedding, a reception. Well, the friends who attend the reception are invited there. They received invitations to be present. They are intimate friends of the bridegroom uh, and the bride. But the bride does not receive an invitation. She is there by virtue of her character as bride. It is her wedding and her reception. She does not need to be called to the wedding or the marriage supper. And so we, as we look at this wonderful picture in Revelation, we see the bride herself, that is the church of the firstborn, uh, united in the day to the bridegroom, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then we see all the Old Testament saints of the great tribulation who have been murdered under the uh, beast and the Antichrist, but are raised at the close of the time of trouble. They are all there wedding guests to rejoice in the joy of the bridegroom and the bride. And that is why our Lord Jesus said of those that are born of a woman, there has not raised a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, Matthew 11, 11. John was the porter at the door of the kingdom, but he did not live uh, to enter in himself. He did not become the member of the church of the living God. Though he heralded the coming of the one who is now the head of the church, you say, do you mean to say that John was not a Christian? Let us be careful to remember what the word Christian means. The word is not uh, synonymous with a child of God. The Old Testament saints were all saved. They were all God's children, but they were not Christians. The disciples were first called Christians at the New Dispensation. The Christian is one united to Christ in glory, and such are the ones uh, formed the bride of the Lamb. So John took the subordinate place and rejoice because of the bridegroom's joy. Again, he declares, as on the previous occasion, he must increase, but I must decrease. Verse 30. The Apostle Paul expresses exactly the same thing when in the first chapter of the epistle uh, to the Philippians, he said that his great joy was that Christ shall be magnified in my body, whereas it be uh, by life 
or by death, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Philippians 1 verses 20 and 21. I wonder if, as children of God today, can enter into this. Are we content to serve without personal recognition? Or are we ambiguous to be counted somebody or something in the world that has rejected our Lord Jesus Christ? Are we seeking a place of power and authority or recognized even in the church of God itself? There is to deny the spirit that is that was seen in John the Baptist and in the Apostle Paul. The one earnest desire was to make much of Christ, and they themselves were willing to be lost sight of. That comes out so beautiful in the second chapter of the epistle to the Philippians, when St. Paul writes to these dear saints in that church, he says, Yea, and if I be offended upon the sacrifice, offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Philippians 2.17. That would translate uh, often to uh, really point out in the Greek, yea, if I be poured out upon the sacrifice and serve uh, a service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. He is referring to the burnt offerings. In the Old Testament time, whenever they uh, presented a burnt offering before the Lord, all the parts of the victim was washed and then placed upon the fire, and then they were all burnt as a sacrifice and went up before God, typifying the offering up of his own blessed son. But just before the priest completes his part of the service, he takes a, a, a flagon of wine and was called a drink offering and pours the wine all over the burnt offering. Now that drink offering pictures the Lord Jesus pouring out his soul unto death on our behalf. But you see, if the worshipers were gathered about, they could see the burnt offering on the altar. But if the wine had been poured out over it, they could not see the drink offering. And the wine was immediately lost sight of, and only the burnt offering remained. And Paul said, I am willing, as he writes to the Philippians, that your sacrifice and service should have, as it were, a place of the burnt offering, and that I, just like the drink offering, would be poured out over the offering that you make. In other words, I am willing to do my work to serve the Lord Christ in my day and generation, and that be lost sight of. I am willing that others shall get the glory, if there is any, for the work that is done. What a wonderful spirit that is. How we need to pray that we may learn more of the meekness and the gentleness of Christ, the spirit 
that says, not, never mind me. If Christ is glorified, that is all I am concerned about. I do not want them to think of me. I do not want them to make anything of me. When William Carey was dying, he turned to a friend and said, when I am gone, don't talk about William Carey. Talk about William Carey's savior. I desire that Christ alone might be magnified. And so with John here, we must increase, but he must decrease. And when, what, what, and then what a testimony he gives to us. I often say, I am afraid that many of us fail to realize how fully John the Baptist entered into the blessed truth that came by Jesus Christ. We imagine sometimes that he had the very light, a very little understanding of the person of the Lord, of the full truth of redemption. But let's not forget, it was he who exclaimed, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It was he who said, I saw and bear witness that this is the Son of God, John 1, 29. And here in 331, we have this wonderful homage paid to the blessed Lord by John. He says, he that comes after, comes from above, is above. John knew that he came from above. John knew uh, he did not begin to live when he was born of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And John knew of his pre-existence with the Father before even the world was. He said, he that comes up from above is above all. He that is from the earth is earthly and speaks of the earth. When a man speaks in the spirit of pride and vanity and rival, they are speaking of as of the earth. That kind of thing belongs to the earth and not to heaven. He that cometh from above is above all, and what he has seen and heard that he testifies, and no man receiveth his testimony. Verses 31 and 32. That is the natural man's unaided by divine grace never receiving the testimony of God. That is why we are told in the third chapter of the Epistles of Romans, there is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way, and they together have become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Verse 12. If we ever find a soul seeking after God, you may know it is because the Spirit of God is working in the heart of the natural man, going out of his way. He is not interested in divine things, and this is the way. Uh, uh, might help some who are troubled and concerned. I have often had people come to me and say, Oh, I do long for the assurance of salvation. I have come to Christ. I have asked God to save me. I do believe that Jesus died for me. 
but I am so miserable about my sins. I have no assurance. I have no peace. I have no realization that God has accepted me. I say to uh, uh, people like that, don't you fear, dear friend. No natural man seeks after God. The fact that you are going through all these exercises is, it's therefore a proof of your regeneration. Take uh, a corpse lying here and put 500 weights of lead upon his breast of that corpse. There is not a single distress. Why? Because the man is dead. But if you put that 500 weight upon a living man, what then do you have? Groans and anguish, crying for deliverance. Why? Because there is life there. That is why people are so troubled about their sins, because their life, their divine life, God has already begun to work. Therefore, if that is your case, thank God that his spirit has begun a work in your soul and be persuaded that he which has begun a work in you uh, will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians 1, 6. Now take God at his word, believing what he says about your blessed, about his blessed son, and receive the peace that is rightfully yours. No natural man receives the testimony of God, but he that receives his testimony has set to his seal that God is true, John 3:33. That is faith, nothing more, nothing less than believing that God means what he says. So often we put the scripture before a troubled soul and say, now, can't you believe this? And they look up and say, well, I've tried to believe. Take a passage like this. He came into, came unto his own and his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. John 1, verses 11 and 12. <clears throat> Don't you want to know Jesus? Are you seeking Christ? Are you ready to receive him? Very well. What does it say? As many as received him, to them he gave the power to become the children of God. Do you, do you receive him? And the answer comes, yes, yes, I believe I do. Well then, are you a child of God? I don't know. I don't think I am. I don't feel it. I am afraid to say that. Don't you see what the trouble is? They are not taking God at his word. Sometimes we just, we say to them, well, don't you see, dear friend, you must have faith. You must believe that God has, what God has said. And then look at you with the most amazing infernitary uh, and say, well, I am trying to believe. What an insult to God. Trying to believe 
who it is, God who has spoken, and you say, I am trying to believe? Why, I am not a frail mortal man, but if I told you something concerning some place where I have been, and you never have seen, and you look at me and say, well, that is very interesting, and I am trying to believe, I would say, sir, you insulted me. Do you think I am lying to you? What do you mean by saying you are trying to believe? I am telling you the truth and expect you to believe my testimony. God has spoken in his word and he expects men to receive his testimony. That is all there is to faith. It is believing what God has said. If we receive the witness of men, and we do, the witness of God is greater, for this is the witness of God, which he has testified concerning his son, 1 John 5, 9. We believe it, and believing it, we set to our seal that God is true. For he whom God has sent, that is our Lord Jesus Christ, speaks the word of God, for God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. John 3, 34. The Spirit is all his fullness dwells in Christ, and the word that he spoke were the words of God. The Father loveth the Son, and has given all things into his hands. Verse 35. God has decreed that the Lord Jesus Christ shall reign as head of the universe, because after all, he was its creator. It is, or it was the word himself that brought all things into being, and they have been created both by him and for him. And now comes the greatest testimony of this section, and what a tremendous testimony it is. I am not exactly sure whether John the Baptist spoke all these words, or whether some of them, perhaps from about verse 34, are inserted uh, in the recording by the ins inspiration through the hand of the Apostle John himself. Just when the testimony of John the Baptist ends, the testimony of the writer of the gospel begins. We cannot always tell, but at that, at any rate, if we take uh, verse 36 as spoken by John the Baptist, it is a marvelous testimony. Or if we take it as penned directly by the Apostle John under divine inspiration, still it comes to us uh, as the very word of the living God. We notice that verse 18 uh, divides all mankind into who have heard uh, the gospel into two groups. This does not take in the heathen who have never heard the gospel. They will be dealt with according to the light that has and will be judged uh, for their own sins. Here again, we have two classes. It says first, he that believes in the Son 
has everlasting life. Verse 36a. And that is one group. He has believed, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Verse 36b. That is the other. Let's let us look at the first statement of the moment uh, or two. Could anyone be clear? Anything be clear? Do you want to be certain that you have eternal life? Then challenge you this. Thus, do you believe on the Son of God? Do you put your trust and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you rest your soul upon him and his finished works, the work accomplished on Calvary's cross for our redemption? Then listen to what God himself says. He that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Now do you not say, well, but I do not feel any different. It does not say, he that feeleth, but he that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. A friend of mine years ago preached on this very text. At the close of the meeting, as the preachers sometimes do in small places, he went down to the door to greet the friends. A lady troubled about her soul came along and reached out his hand and said to her, Well, how is it with you tonight? Are you saved? She says, Oh, I don't know, sir. I hope so. He says, Well, let me show you this first. And he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. Do you believe on the Son? Oh, I do, sir. I do believe on him with all my heart. Well, then, have you everlasting life? Life? I hope so. I hope I have. Well, read the verse again. She read it. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. Do you believe on the Son? I do. Then have you everlasting life? I certainly hope so. I do hope so. Read it again, please. She read it again. He that believeth on the Son has everlasting life. Do you believe on the Son? I do. Have you everlasting life? I hope so. Well, he says, I see what the trouble is. She said, what is the trouble? Why, when you were a girl, you spelt very differently than they did when I was a boy. She said, what do you mean? I am not so much older than you. He says, when you were a girl, hath H-A-T-H spells hope. When I was a boy, H-A-T-H spelled hath. She explained, hath, he that believes in the Son has everlasting life. Why, of course I have it. Yes, I see it. I believe on the Son of God, and God says I have everlasting life. And so she entered into peace. Again, I come back to the next text. He that has received his testimony has set to his seal 
that God is true. A little boy said to his school teacher, faith is believing God and asking no questions. It is just taking God at his word. Look at the other side of the verse. It is the very solemn side to the truth indeed. He that believes not the Son, the word rendered believeth, is different here. It suggests rather obedience in the Greek. He that obeys not the Son, the Son commit, uh, comment, commanded is to believe. They, they come to Jesus and say, what is the work of God that we may do it? And he said, the work of God is to believe in the Son that was sent. He that obeys not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Oh, the hopelessness of that, oh, the horror of it, oh, the pity of it, that men should hear the gospel over and over again and hear it and turn away. The, that man should live on rejecting and die, refusing to believe Christ and go out into a hopeless eternity to die without Christ. See how this one verse cuts out the root and the twin heirs of the annulled of the wicked and the universal salvation of all men. Sometimes somewhere take the question of universalism first. Listen to what it says. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life. There is no thought there of a future hope of a man who dies rejecting Christ. If man does not have Christ in the world, he will never see Jesus. As And Jesus has said, If ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. John 8, 24. And then he adds, Whither I go, ye cannot come. Verses 22, uh, 21 to 22 and 13, uh, 33. He that believes not on the Son shall not see life. But on the other hand, there are many who think, even if I do live and die rejecting Christ, death will be the end of it all. I'll just be utterly annihilated. They will be nothing more to me, and therefore I will pass out of existence. Be thought I had never been. But scripture says, he that obeys not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Notice the tense, abides on him. You cannot logically couple the thought of abiding wrath with the extension of being. Uh, and so this verse solemnly warns us that if we do not put our trust in Christ in this life, the wrath of God must abide upon us in eternity. But in order that this might never be, Jesus had died. 
he had settled the sin question for all who believe. God has given the record of it in his word. The Holy Spirit has come from heaven to bear witness to it. And if you and I believe, we may know we have everlasting life. And that ends our reading. Bye for now.